Well, if you would, go ahead and turn with me to the last part of the letter to the Philippians. The last part of this letter will begin in chapter 4, verse 10, and go through the end of the letter. I'll have to say before I even start that during Thanksgiving uh, week, when I'm thinking about things I'm thankful for, it definitely doesn't take very long before my heart is filled with thanksgiving for Christ Fellowship Church, for the brothers and sisters in this church. I think I can speak for all of us as pastors that, that get the joy and the privilege of being called a pastor at this church, and so, so thankful for each and every one of you all, and we love you dearly. Um, so, of Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, it says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and thanksgiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning that as we hear your word, as we stop and pause and we look to Jesus, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with an overwhelming sense of thanksgiving, with, with a a knowledge of what it means to have all-surpassing joy in Jesus, that you would cultivate within us a contentment in Christ. Lord, I'm asking that you would satisfy us with yourself. And Lord, I'm confident that you want to do that this morning. I'm confident that you would want nothing more than your believers, your people Today, even those who don't know you in this room, Lord, I'm confident that you would want nothing more than for them to know the enoughness, the all-sufficiency of Jesus and to have all-surpassing joy in him. So, Lord, would you answer that prayer as we hear, as we listen, would you speak by your spirit to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I would have loved to see his face. 
You ever said that in a conversation before? You hear about something exciting that's happened to someone, a significant event in someone's life, and and you say, I wish I could have been there. I would have loved to see their face. You hear about a friend who, who gets engaged, and you say, oh, wow, I would have loved to see the look on her face when that happened. Your nieces and nephews, maybe they're going to Disney World for the first time, and it's the first time they're going to see the castle and to see Mickey and, and Minnie and see all their friends, and you say to yourself, I wish I could have been there. I would have loved to see that look on their face. You watch a team win the national championship, and maybe one of your friends comes to mind, and you say, man, I wish I was watching with them. They're the biggest fan. I would love to have seen the look on their face. Well, that's exactly what I felt this week as I read this final section of Paul's letter. See, this is, exa- this is a, a, actually a thank you letter from Paul to the Philippian church for all their support, for all their care, for all their love, for all their concern. And so when I sit there and I read the end of this letter, I picture Paul sitting by himself in prison. And I picture Epaphroditus bringing this gift, this money, this gift of care and concern through the doors of the prison, carrying it to the Apostle Paul from the Philippian church. And my heart says, man, I would have loved to see Paul's face. I would have loved to see the look on Paul's face when he received this care and this love and this concern from the Philippian church. The good news this morning is that Paul tells us exactly what his face looked like this morning. He he tells us exactly, he shows us with his words what was going on in his heart this morning when he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. This is no small rejoicing. This is not half-hearted emotion going on. And in fact, I don't think the word joy is possible. There is no going through the motions when it comes with joy. Biblical joy. Now, this was an overwhelming sense of thankfulness. An overflowing sense of joy. This is what it looks like when we talk about the all-surpassing joy in Jesus. Which should cause two responses in all our hearts this morning. To everybody that's listening, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, every single one of us at this point should stop and say, I want that. That should be our first response. I want that kind of joy. I want to rejoice greatly. I want to know what it's like to have untouchable joy in, in all circumstances. I want to know what it's like to have an all-surpassing joy in Jesus, to rejoice in the Lord, not just a little bit, not just for a moment, not just in a way that's fleeting, but to rejoice greatly. Does your heart desire that kind of untouchable joy, all-surpassing joy this morning? The second response, though, should be, not only do I want that, where do I find it? That should be your second question. Where do I find that kind of joy? 
where do I get this all-surpassing joy that Paul has even when he's sitting in prison? Probably the worst place you could be being persecuted for your faith. Where do I find this all-surpassing joy in Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I think Paul's glad you asked too. And I know the Lord wants you to know it today. So what if we just, in our hearts right now, just pray, Lord, would you help me find this unbelievable, all-surpassing joy that can only be found in Jesus? Lord, I want that. I desire that this morning. And let's just think about how Paul knew it how Paul experienced it, how he rested in it. And I think the first thing we see in our passage is that Paul had learned the secret of contentment. That's where his joy was found. He had learned the secret of contentment. Paul's overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving for this gift. But what we have to see is that his joy didn't start when Epaphroditus came strolling into prison that day. No, his joy was consistent. It was constant because he knew the secret of contentment, he says. He says, I found the secret. Listen to him. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Paul says, I know what it's like to be humbled, to feel like I've been brought down to nothing. And I know what it's like to to be lifted up. I know what it's like to have an abundance of things, to have plenty, but I also know what it's like to feel empty-handed, to feel broke as a joke. He says, I know what it's like to have a a plate full of turkey and dressing and ham and deviled eggs and mashed potatoes and green beans and hash brown casserole and chocolate pie and yeast rolls. I know what it's like to have all that, and I know what it's like to feel hungry. Notice I didn't say cranberry sauce because he's normal and he passes up that stuff just like the rest of us do, right? Notice Paul says, in whatever situation, I've learned to be content. Whatever the situation I find myself in, in any and every circumstance. Did you hear that? In any and every circumstance. I love Delissa's testimony. She said, in every circumstance, God is in control. Paul says, whether I'm sitting in prison or whether I would be sitting on vacation." With a birth of a baby or a loss of a loved one, getting a, a new job or, or feeling stuck in a difficult one, feeling good or being diagnosed with, with cancer in any in every situation, I have a heart of contentment. A heart of contentment. Well, what, what are we talking about when we say contentment? Well, here's a a really old definition from a Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs. He says this, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in. Did you hear that? 
freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. In light of our passage, I would just add one little phrase to make that Puritan definition. I know I try to, I, can, I don't know if you can improve on it, but I'm going to try to. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition because of all we've been given in Jesus. That's the secret of contentment. It's resting in Jesus in any and every circumstance. Resting in Jesus in any and every circumstance. You know, if, if you've ever had little kids, if you've ever had a baby, you'll know this, that sometimes parents get desperate and you'll do anything to satisfy your kid in the moment. Anybody else? Is that just me? Or you get a r- little restless in the moment and they're feeling a little bothered, they seem a little disturbed. And in that moment, you, it's like you'll try anything to calm them down. You're looking for suckers in the glove compartment to throw in the back of the minivan You'll buy them a toy that they've asked for for like 50 times in the store. I mean, you'll, sometimes I've heard this is true out there for other people, but you might let them see your phone when you're at dinner somewhere. I've heard that's out there. I don't know. But, but what you think in that moment, what's going on in your, your mind, what's going on is you say this. You think this. There's a disruption inside of them, and the only way to quiet them down is something outside of them. There's a disruption inside of them, and the only thing that will quiet them down is giving them something outside of them. It's sad, but how many times do we treat our our own souls that way? I need something outside of me to quiet me. I need to find something out there that will give me quiet, that will give me Rest in my soul. So we say to ourselves in our heart, if I just had blank, well, well then I would be content. You can fill in that blank with whatever you try to give your soul rest, to give your soul joy. If I just had a, a better job or if I just had a bigger house, things would be more quiet in my soul. If I just had a spouse, or, or if I had a, a different spouse, or if I had a, a kid, if I, if I had a child, then, then my heart would know content, contentment. If I was healthy, or if, or if I had money, or, or if I was done with school, or, or, if that, or if that person wasn't working here at my job, or, or if I owned one of those things, or if I was done with this program, well, then I would have joy then I would have joy. But for the Christian, listen, church, for the Christian, the secret of contentment is not something outside of you. It's something that's inside of you. The secret of contentment is not something dwelling, it's not you dwelling on what you don't have. The secret of contentment is about rejoicing what you've already been given in Jesus Christ. 
a Savior who not only lived for you a perfect life that you could never live, a Savior who died for you on a cross in your place bearing all your sin, a Savior who rose again victoriously, but not only that, who has taken up residence inside of you, who's filled you with his Spirit. The, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is holy, contented in himself. And so if he's fully content in himself and he's inside of you, you have all the contentment you need in Christ. Listen to what Elizabeth Elliot says. He says, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a new set of circumstances. Do you get that? The, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a new set of circumstances. That's why Paul says here this verse that we all know probably. I can do all things through him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not about kicking a, a field goal in the Super Bowl. That's about you rejoicing in Christ in any and every circumstance, even in prison. It's not about you nailing the presentation at work some morning. I could do all things through Christ. I'm going to really give it to him this morning at work. No, that's about you resting and rejoicing in Jesus when you've lost everything or what feels like everything. Listen, for, for the Christian, there is nothing coming in your future that can bring you contentment. Think about that. There is nothing in your future that can bring you contentment. There's nothing coming around the corner bringing and carrying contentment to you. You already have everything you need to be content because you already have Christ. That's a good word for all the kids in here who, who get excited about Christmas. So you make a Christmas list and you think, all these things are the things I've really wanted. These are all the things I've seen in Walmart in the toy aisle. But listen, there's nothing this world can offer you that can bring you contentment. Contentment comes in Jesus. That's the secret of contentment. It's I'm resting in Christ and Christ is in me. That's why our contentment is consistent, because resting in Christ, we're resting in Christ, who is never changing. That's why, our, that's why our joy is untouchable, because when we're resting in Jesus, Jesus is untouchable, reigning in heaven. So I'm asking you this morning, have you learned the secret of contentment? Do you have, as Burrow says, a sweet inward, quiet, gracious soul because of all that you have in Jesus. Listen, if you're a believer this morning, don't be discouraged if you're here this morning and you don't feel contentment, if you feel discontent this morning. You know why you shouldn't be discouraged? Because if you have Jesus, you already have everything you need to be content. Isn't that good news? If you have Jesus, you have everything that your heart needs to be content. And Paul says, I had to learn this. I've learned this. So you can, too, by the power of the Spirit in your life, you can learn what it means to be content.
Maybe this morning you're here and you, you feel discontent. Maybe you feel a restlessness in your soul because you don't have Jesus. Your sin is creating restlessness. Your sin that promises to satisfy you only delivers restlessness to your heart. Your sin brings restlessness that can't be satisfied by anything in this world. Your restlessness is only overcome by repentance. By repentance and resting all your hope in the one and only Savior, Jesus. And with Jesus comes a joy, a contentment, a thanksgiving that only he can give. So this morning, maybe... The path to rest for you is to repent of your sin, to turn from your sin and rest in Jesus. Second thing we see is that Paul had experienced joy. He, he experienced this joy because he had experienced the sharing of troubles. Paul goes on in verse 14 to speak of the kindness of the Philippians. And here's what he says, the kindness to share in my trouble. What a beautiful phrase. This is where the rejoicing in the Lord greatly comes in. This is overwhelming sense of joy. Paul had great joy already. Great joy already in Christ. But the church sharing in his trouble was simply multiplying his joy in Jesus. So he already had joy in Jesus, but this was multiplying his joy in Jesus. See, this word to share means to participate with. It's to, to fellowship with, to take part in something. And most of the time when we read this in the letters from Paul, he's talking about don't take part in something. Don't participate in something. Don't share in it. And he's usually saying this, church, don't participate in sin. Don't take part in sin. Listen to Ephesians 5. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's a warning. He, he's saying, Christian, be set apart, be holy. Do not take part in this world. But here he does something different. He commends the Philippian church for participating in, for taking part in, for sharing in the trouble of another believer. The Philippian church did not keep Paul at a distance. Do you see this? They didn't keep him at a, at a distance. They didn't say, man, Paul, I, I bet prison really stinks. Sorry you're there. They didn't simply forget Paul. Paul, out of sight, out of mind. No, the passage says that they entered in. They chose to take part in. They chose to empathize with. They, they fellowshiped in his trouble through the Spirit. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, no church entered, no, no church entered into partnership. It's the same from the same word. No church entered into partnership, shared with me in giving and receiving. He says this, except you only. Except you only. You have loved me. You have cared for me. You have entered in to my sorrow. So as Christians, we're, we're not to participate in sin because we're no longer part of this world. But he does say we are supposed to participate in one another's sufferings. 
Because we're united in Christ. What a gift of God's grace. That the Lord would give us one another to multiply our joy even in our greatest sorrow. Is that not a gift of God's grace? Not to leave us alone, not to forget about us. God doesn't say, man, that stinks to be alone in your suffering. No, he, by his grace, gives us one another to multiply our joy even in our greatest sorrow. Think of it this way. Paul writes this to the the scattered church. Churches walking through suffering. Christians that are in the lowest point in 1 Peter. And he says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But then he says this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You hear what Peter's saying to to Christians? Peter says this, rejoice because if you share in Christ's sufferings now, you're going to share in his glory later. If you share in his sufferings now, you get to share in his glory then. Well, here's what Paul's saying in our letter. Rejoice because if you share in one another's sufferings here, you'll also get to share in one another's joy when you get there. Isn't that good news? You share in one another's sufferings here, and then one day in glory, one day in heaven, we will be sharing in one another's joy. Joy together in Christ. I'm so glad the Lord has given Christ's fellowship to us that we might share in one another's sufferings. Because I know that none of us would have would have chosen the troubles that have happened to us over this past year, troubles that we've walked through, even this past week for some of us. But I know none of us would have chosen to walk through them alone. It's a gift of God's grace that he would not leave you alone in your suffering, but give you one another. And if there's something to be thankful for, Lord, thank you for the gift of God's people in my lowest moment. God has been gracious to not give you, to leave you alone in your suffering, but to give you one another. So that's a great reminder as we walk, as we walk through the holidays together. Because for many people, the holidays are the, the saddest and the most depressing, maybe the most loneliest time of your year. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, let God's people share in your trouble. It's a gift that you wouldn't do this alone, but let God's people share in your trouble. And listen to Paul's heart. Listen to Paul's heart. He says this, not that I seek the gift in verse 17, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrificial, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you hear Paul's heart? He's not ultimately after the gift. I mean, I'm sure he was felt blessed when he felt hungry, when he felt all, to, all alone. But he's not after the gift. His joy has nothing to do with the support, with the money from the Philippian church. 
This is not Jerry Maguire saying, show me the money. That's not Paul saying that in, in prison. No, he's saying multiply their joy in their generosity. And not just multiply their joy, but multiply God's glory. That's Paul's heart. His joy is multiplied not in himself getting something. It's multiplied in the Philippians' fruitfulness and joy being multiplied. His joy is multiplied because this gift of coming and loving Paul, this gift that's coming to him, is rising like a fragrant offering, a sacrifice unto the God of heaven, seeing his people love one another. His joy is not self-centered or, or self-seeking. It's multiplied in the joy of others and the glory of God. Is that where your joy is found? Is, is your joy found in the stuff that you accumulate? Or, or is it found when other people get joy? And when God gets glory? Is that where your joy is rooted Finally, not only did Paul know the secret of commitment, uh, contentment, not only did he have experienced the sharing of trouble, but finally, Paul, this is why he had joy. Paul was resting in the sufficiency of Christ. Ultimately, Paul's all-surpassing joy is rooted in the all-sufficiency of Jesus. His joy is endless because of the endless riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, he could have been the brokest person in the world, but if he had Christ, he was filthy rich. That's what Paul says here. He says this in verse 19. It's one of my favorite verses. He says this. This is Paul's confident joy in Christ. He says, and my God will, did you hear that? Will, not might supply, but my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Pa Paul wants the, the church of Philippi to experience the same confident joy in the sufficiency of Christ. The, the knowledge of having enough, more than enough, because they have Jesus. He's saying to the church of Philippi, the same way that you've witnessed God supply all of my needs, the same way that you've seen God supply all of my needs, God promises that he's going to do the same thing for you. And you know what the Spirit is saying to Christ's fellowship, to the brothers and sisters that are in this church today? He's saying in the same way that God has supplied all the needs of the Apostle Paul is the same way I promise to supply your needs. I promise to care for you. So the question this morning is not, is Christ enough? That's already been answered. The Bible has said clearly that Christ is more than enough for you. The, the question is, are you resting in the enoughness of Jesus? It's a question that every heart has to ask today. Are you resting in the enoughness of Jesus? Are you confident 
that God will supply. God the Father, our good Father, will supply every need of yours according to the riches of glory that are in Christ Jesus. Because let's be honest, a lot of us live like God's filed bankruptcy. I mean, a lot of us live our lives like God is broke. That, that maybe he supplied all of Paul's needs. Maybe he supplied those other families' needs over there. I've noticed they have what they need. Maybe he supplied my friend's needs or my college roommate's needs. But it must have ran out when he came to me because I feel like I'm, I'm needy and Christ doesn't see it. Well, one reason maybe you're lacking in joy and contentment this morning is maybe you're reading the passage wrong. It doesn't say God will supply every want of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It doesn't, doesn't say that. God, God is a good father, a good heavenly father that knows not to give you your every want, but to give you your every need. And we have to trust in that. That God is a good Heavenly Father not to give you everything you want, but to give you everything that you need. And one day we're going to sit in glory. One day we're going to be in heaven with our Father. And we're going to thank God for not giving us everything we ever wanted. It's, it's hard to, to know that and it's hard to feel that right now. But we're going to thank God for not giving us everything we wanted. And we're not for once not going to say he's not good. Gave us everything we ever needed. Maybe another reason you lack joy is because God is supplying someone else with what you want. God's a wise heavenly father though and he knows that someone else's need is not your need. And you need to rest in that. That what someone else needs might not be what I need. And I rejoice in what God has given them, even if he hasn't given it to me. One author says it this way. Nobody gets what God has for you. Everybody gets what God has for them. That is so, such good news. How freeing is that? Nobody gets what God has for you. Everybody's getting what God has for them. That's so freeing because that means God, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you can rest assured that God is giving you whatever you need. And he's giving them whatever they need. And they're giving everyone that you know who's in Christ everything that they need this morning. And we can rest in that. So, this brings us back to our original question. Are, are you resting in the enoughness of Jesus? Are you resting in the enough, enoughness of Jesus? Because there is an endless supply. A Niagara, Niagara Falls of riches in Jesus Christ. A, a Niagara Falls of His love and His joy and His grace, and His mercy, and His forgiveness for all those who are in Christ. There, there is a Niagara Falls never-ending supply of Jesus that will never end for all eternity, that will never end for 10 trillion years. So why would we live like it might run out on us today? I 
Oh, the joy. If, if the Lord would be gracious to give us rest, the, the joy for us, our hearts to say, Jesus is the only one that can save me from my sin. And he's the only one that can satisfy me with himself. He's the only one that can save me from my sin, and he's the only one that can satisfy me with himself. There's nothing like seeing the face of someone who's experiencing this type of joy for the first time. I love to see it on people's face, to to watch another brother in Christ experience true joy contentment in any and every circumstance for the first time. To watch another sister in Christ experience true, true fellowship in her trouble for the first time. Some real, this person is with me. To watch someone experience the all-sufficiency, the enoughness of Jesus for the first time. Have you ever experienced that before? Maybe by God's Spirit, maybe you're experiencing it for the first time this morning. Maybe God would be gracious enough for you for the first time to exhale and to rest and relax in Jesus for the first time. For you to be able to exhale and to say, with a quiet and a gracious Spirit, Christ is enough for me. But this morning, there's another face I would love to see. This morning, I would love to see the face of our Heavenly Father. Can you imagine looking upon His face as He looks upon the face of His children who are finding great joy in Him? to look upon the face of the Father as His children have found the secret of contentment, of resting in Christ in any and every circumstance. His children who are sharing together not only the joys of life, but sharing even in the greatest troubles, the greatest sorrows that could come. To look upon His children who are resting in the all-sufficiency of Jesus who would look at this world and all that it promises to satisfy us with and to look and say, to be able to say, Jesus is more than enough for me this morning. If you thought you knew what all surpassing joy looks like, what if, what if we could see the face of the Father this morning? Because God gets joy in the joy of his people. God gets joy in the contentment of his people when they rest in the enoughness of Jesus. When we experience the all-surpassing joy of Jesus, we are actually displaying the all-surpassing glory and worth of God. I mean, that's God's reputation on the wor- in the world. God's reputation is is displayed in the joy of his people. That's why we pray so much, Lord. We pray for our joy and God's glory. And that's not two different things. That's one thing. 
That's one thing that when we increase in our joy, when we increase in our love and our thanksgiving to God, God's glory is seen more and more in our world today. When our, glory, our joy is multiplied, so is his glory in the world. So I guess it's only appropriate then when we experience this, when Paul experiences this all-surpassing joy that's in Jesus, that his last verse is this, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would, by your grace and for your glory, increase the joy of your people today. That, Lord, you would teach us, that you would teach us the secret of contentment, that in any and every circumstance, we, we don't just have to submit to your will. Lord, we can delight in your will because you've already given us Jesus. Lord, you've given us everything that we need to be content because you've given us your best. You've given us heaven's favorite, Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray you would give us the secret of contentment. Resting in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us a desire to to share in one another's troubles, that we, Lord, we wouldn't forget about one another, we wouldn't move away from one another or keep one another at a distance, but, Lord, we would enter in. We would participate with, that we would fellowship in one another's sufferings, knowing that when we share in one another's sufferings, we will also share in one another's joy in Christ. And, Lord, we ask that you would Help us rest in the enoughness of Jesus. Lord, knowing that, Lord, there is more than enough for us in Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we see here the riches of glory that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, may we bank on the truth that you are for us. Lord, that you are giving us everything we need for our joy and for your glory. So, Lord, cultivate within your people a thanksgiving, a joy, a contentment that can only come from resting in Christ. And, Lord, I ask that if there's anyone here today that, that doesn't know the rest that comes in Christ Jesus, that they would turn from their sin that cannot satisfy, and they would rest completely in Jesus. They would relax completely in Jesus. They would collapse on Christ who will satisfy them with himself. Not only save us from our sin, but satisfy us with himself. Lord, we pray this for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.